Jamie Tarabay is no stranger to bloodshed. She was a war reporter, and for the last 10 years, she covered conflict in the Middle East. But even as a seasoned journalist, her stint as NPR's Baghdad bureau chief between 2005 and 2007 was terrifying. There were nearly 30,000 civilian casualties a year then, and she saw the ugliest side of humanity on a daily basis. 2006, 2007 were really scary years, 18-hour days and just crazy, crazy schedules and crazy conditions, things blowing up and people dying and disappearing. It was constant paranoia. You are watching everybody when you're out. One of the biggest concerns was kidnappings. You couldn't really be outside for more than half an hour because the sort of the word was that it took them half an hour to get a group together to come and take you. I actually had somebody say to me, that guy reckons he could get $100,000 for you. Sometimes you just knew when you looked at people and you could just see, you could see their eyes are just going cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. In a dangerous war zone, especially as a foreigner, you have to trust your team. Rely on them every day to keep you safe. And it's impossible not to build a relationship with the people who hold your life in their hands. Wherever we went, especially when it was really rough sort of times, everyone would be involved. We'd listen to what everyone had to say, the drivers, the office manager, the producer. We'd sit down, we'd map it out. Where are you going? Which road are you going to take? How long are you going to be there for? Abdullah was a student, a native Iraqi, and part of Jamie's team. She became close to him during her time in Baghdad. Abdullah was one of our translators slash fixers slash occasional reporter. He has always been part of my NPR Baghdad experience from, from day one, basically. So it was a huge blow to Jamie and her staff when the news came in. Their worst fears had been realized. The kidnappings had reached home. Abdullah's father had been kidnapped and was being held for ransom. The NPR staff who were in the bureau while I was out were really scrambling to sort this out and, and fix it and help, and you just don't know how to help. And it was really touchy. I didn't want to ask him anything. It's it's this thing you just don't know if you can ask even because it's just going to hurt someone to re- remind them that there is still this situation that they haven't been able to to, to fix. But finally, Abdullah gave Jamie the chance to help him. He wanted to tell her his story. So Jamie turned on her tape recorder. This is what you hear on the news every day, but only this time it happened to me. Abdullah's father, Arif, was driving to take his brother to work. They did this trip every day, I guess. At a traffic junction, a car pulled up in front of them, pulled them both out of the car. They put their pistols on my father's head and my brother's head and um, asked them to leave the car. They took my father and they put him in the other car. Then they drove off, leaving Abdullah's brother in the street. They told him not to turn around until they had gone. Abdullah's brother went home and called him to tell him what happened. I didn't know what to do. I just, I sat and, you know, started crying and didn't know what to do. And his dad was sick and elderly and harmless. He wasn't political, he wasn't overtly religious or anything like that. He was just a really kind man. Abdullah's mother collapsed to the floor when she heard the news. And then Abdullah got a phone call. The caller ID said it was from his father. Abdullah recorded the call. Are we over? 
I picked up the phone and there was a man talking and, you know, out of shock, I thought it, it was my father. And I was calling him, you know, father, is that you? It turned out to be uh, the guy who's negotiating from the kidnapper's side. I mean, it was a kind of strong voice. He talks slowly, but, you know, he's controlling the whole situation. And I started begging them almost in tears, you know, please don't hurt him. He's my father. He's an old man. He hasn't done anything. And the kidnapper says, yeah, we know. He says, okay, I want $100,000, 100000 American dollars. And there was no way, there, I mean, there was no way Abdullah had that kind of money. And, uh, and he told him that. And he said, well, you know, you need to decide. It's your father. And your father told us that my boys love me. And he started threatening me that, you know, if you don't cooperate with us and do as we told you, you know what would happen to your father. We will torture him. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll crush his head and I'll send it to you as a gift. And Abdullah said, look, please give me time. And he said that there were a series of phone calls after that that followed where he was able to bring the price down. In the immediate panic, there was this really big scramble from Abdullah to try and get this money together. And he was calling up everyone in his tribe. You know, he was asking for advances on his pay. So the immediate concern was, we have to get him back. During one of the conversations where they negotiated over the ransom, Abdullah begged the kidnappers to let him speak to his father. And finally, his voice came over the line. And you can hear him saying, I'm okay, you know, inshallah. God willing. Abdullah organized an exchange with the kidnappers. I had to do it because nobody wanted to do it. My uncle said after he heard the conversation, you know, it's my brother, but I would have broken down. I couldn't deal with these people. When Abdullah finally got all the money together and he went to the drop-off point as these people had directed him to, they told him to wear a kafiyah, one of those scarves around his head and uh, a long robe. So he looked like anybody else in the street, really. And they called him on the phone. And then I waited there and he told me to cross the street on the other side to put the money between some blocks that set up there. There's a space for two, three inches where you just drop it. And I asked when, is it now? Drop it and then go home. Abdullah dropped the money. And then what? While I was talking to him, the phone just died. Abdullah had forgotten to charge his cell phone the night before. And the, the tragedy, the tragedy that happened in this story is that by the time he finally got home to charge it, uh, he wasn't able to, uh, to reach anyone. He never spoke to his father again. His phone had been disconnected. But even if Abdullah's phone had been charged, it was unlikely that he would have gotten his father back. More and more elderly people started to go missing from the neighborhood where he lived. Almost every family paid the ransom. And none of them ever got anybody back. Abdullah decided that because of the kidnappings in his neighborhood, it was no longer safe to live there. He didn't want to lose anyone else, and there was no telling who was behind the kidnappings, an insurgent group or their next-door neighbor. There anyone. There anyone. It had become a way to make money. The police would say that you just needed three guys in the car and you had a kidnapping ring. It got to the point in late 2006, early 2007, that things had disintegrated so badly in Iraq that unless you were in a life of crime, you weren't living, you weren't able to survive. 
and it would be your next door neighbor who watched you and saw how much money you had and knew your routine. You know, the fact that Arif would take the same road every day, whoever was watching him noticed that. When, you know, when we've had people go missing, this is the same sort of thing. We've always had to make sure that our staff never drove the same way home. So Abdullah took his family and moved, but it was very hard for his mother to go. She didn't want to leave. She didn't want to go in case Arif came back and found an empty house. You always hope that they're still alive and they're out there somewhere trying to come home to you. Um, but the idea that he wasn't, she wasn't there for him to come home to was just really, it was very difficult for her to, to do that. It was difficult for Abdullah to let go as well. It took him weeks to be able to go to the morgue in Baghdad in search of his father's body. And to go to the morgue is just basically you're accepting that you have lost all hope of ever finding your, your person alive again. And so it was very, it was very difficult for Abdullah to do that, but he decided, okay, I'm going to go. Baghdad's central morgue in this time was completely overwhelmed by the numbers of bodies that were turning up. And they were coming in every state, horrible, horrible torture. Corpses were turning up without any heads to some bodies, drills, burns, hands tied behind backs. It was just horrifying. And uh, at the morgue, what they do is you sit in a room or if it's too crowded in there, people are standing outside and looking through the window. There's an overhead screen, like an overhead projector. It's basically like a slideshow of the bodies. Every time I go there, it's like hell. Families looking for their loved ones for the past three or four months. And every 10 or 15 minutes, somebody jumps and says, that's my son, or that's my father, or that's my husband. And they start crying, and everyone's saying, God is great. May God's mercy be on him. Allahu Akbar. God have mercy on their soul. Jamie really wanted to do this story for NPR in 2007 because she wanted Americans to come to terms with the way that this war affects civilians. When we did the story, it was good to be able to tell people what it is actually like. Being able to explain that it's not this sort of Hollywood ransom situation, you know, that always has a happy ending is something that I really wanted people to understand. But the story going public meant that Abdullah would have to come to terms with something too. They knew that once it aired, there was no way the kidnappers would ever return his father. And I asked him, I asked him again and again, I said, are you sure about this? I mean, I I don't know if this is a good idea. I mean, there's a possibility still. And he said, no, 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 I want to do this. Over the radio waves, Abdullah's voice spoke about cruelty and war and loss. But most importantly, it was also saying goodbye. just want to say thank you thank you to the family for sharing this story with us for trusting us with this story thank you very very much NPR's Jamie Tarabay and Diana Douglas thank you and the whole NPR news team for making it possible the story was produced by our own Miss Stephanie Fu 
You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.